Welcome back to our series called Reality Check. If you're just joining us today, whether in here or online, uh, we are walking through Old Testament kings, uh, both Kingdom of Israel and Kingdom of Judah. Uh, just a real quick history uh, summary. The Kingdom of Israel was one big nation under David and Solomon, and then after King Solomon, it split into two, and then you had the Kingdom of Judah on the south and the Kingdom of Israel in the north. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been bouncing back and forth between the two kingdoms, looking at the different kings. And what's been easy to do is to look at the kings and see how they needed a reality check. What's been less fun is seeing how their reality check is the same reality check we need today in the 21st century. But what's been amazing is to see the grace and the mercy of the Lord God Almighty for sinners like these kings and us, for people who need a reality check. Today, we're going to look at reconstructing our own religion. And I've really based this message on three questions that we're going to answer today Number one, how can I tell if I've reconstructed a religion in my life? Because we hear reconstructing our own religion, and we're sitting here as Christians today thinking, I'm in a Christian church, I'm here to worship Jesus, uh, I haven't reconstructed any religion in my life, so how can we tell if we have? Number two, what does God do about it? And number three, how do we get out of it? So, Today, we are going to look at 2 Kings chapter 21. A little background, last week we looked at King Hezekiah, and we saw that he was probably, uh, from a spiritual standpoint, the greatest king that Judah had ever seen, even greater than King David. Uh, In fact, Scripture says that, that there was no king like him before him or after him who did right in the eyes of the Lord. He tore down all the altars to the false gods. It was a reformation of sorts where... King Hezekiah said, let's get back to worshiping the Lord and him alone. King Hezekiah had a son named Manasseh, and Manasseh brought a counter-reformation. What everything that dad did, Manasseh undid. So let's jump in. We're in 2 Kings chapter 21. Here's what we're told. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. He took the carved Asherah pole he had made and put it in the temple, of which the Lord had said to David and to his son Solomon, In this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. 
I will, not make again, I will not again make the feet of the Israelites wander from the land I gave their ancestors, if only they will be careful to do everything I commanded them and will keep the whole law that my servant Moses gave them. But the people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Let's stop there. Manasseh undoes everything, and we hear a huge long list of gods that Manasseh worshipped. Manasseh built altars to Baal and an Asherah pole to worship the goddess Asherah. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, do you remember how you worshipped Baal and Asherah? Through sacred prostitution. And did you catch where he put that Asherah pole? In the temple of the Lord. You see, it wasn't enough for Manasseh just to, to have these gods in Jerusalem and leave the, the temple of the Lord alone. No, no, no. He was going to desecrate the temple of the Lord by putting these false gods and altars to these false gods in them. Now, I, I don't know how many of you grew up in a, a church when you were a kid that had, you know, the stained glass windows, the steeples. Um, whether you have that in mind or you have our church in mind, imagine walking into church and the cross being removed and there is a big Asherah pole, and the way that people were worshiping were sacred prostitution when you walked in. That's what was happening in the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Not only that, but he worshiped the starry hosts, the sun, the moon, the stars, and he built altars to them and put them in the temple of the Lord. Why? Uh, it was believed in the first century that the sun, moon, and stars and were, were either gods themselves or they were associated with the gods and therefore they needed to be appeased. And if you appease them, they wouldn't be angry at you and they bring good tides, they bring good weather because they predicted things by worshiping the starry hosts. And so you look to them for your hope. Finally, he practiced divination, sought omens. He went and sought mediums and spiritists. What was he doing? He was practicing the occult. He was looking to Satan. He was looking to Satan to give him direction in life, to predict the future, to know where to go. And all of this led to where? Showing his true devotion to all of these things by sacrificing his son as an animal, as a sacrifice to these gods. It's horrifying, isn't it? It's horrifying to think about as we look at Manasseh reconstructing his own religion. And we hear the narrative laid out for us of everything that, that he did, and yet there are two lines in here that really explain why. It's in verse 2. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out. And then if you jump down to verse 9, but the people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed. When you looked, if you lived in the first, or not the first century, if you, 
I apologize for that earlier. It wasn't the first century either. It was around 700 to 650 B.C. that all this took place. If you lived in that time and you lived around Jerusalem, you would look at the people, you would look at the king, and what would you see and say? There's no difference between them and the people around them. The way they live, the way they act, the practices that they follow, they blend in. There's no difference. They follow the practices of the people before them. God had called the Jewish people out of the nations to be his own and to live differently, and yet the practices they followed were exactly like everyone else. Why? Because the idol they worshipped led to the practices they followed. The idols they clung to in their hearts led to the practices that they carried out in their life to the point where they couldn't tell a difference. In fact, verse 9 says they did more evil than, the, than the, the nations around them. I wonder if some of the nations around them looked at Manasseh and said, wow, we're not even that bad. But there was no difference. Their practices were the same. As we sit here this morning, as Christians, when people look at your life, would they say, your practices follow the culture around us? Or are you standing out and living differently? If, the, if people in our culture would look at you and say, there's really no difference in their practices from the non-Christians, then we've got to examine our hearts and say, what idol are we clinging to? And if you're here today or you're watching online and you're not a Christian, and you're thinking, well, just because I don't worship Jesus doesn't mean that I, I worship idols. Understand, we are all built to worship. The heart worships something or someone. All of us have that ultimate source that we look to for hope, for direction, for meaning, and for peace in our life, and we sacrifice for it. We give up our money. We give our minds, our hearts, our devotion to something or someone. Every human heart does. And whatever that ultimate source in your life is, the practices will flow from that. And that's your first point this morning. The practices you follow come from the idol you worship. If you want to know if you're reconstructing your own religion, how can you tell? It's look at the practices you're living out. Look at the practices you're following in life. Are you following and looking like and sounding like a Christian, or are you looking like the culture around us? This was Manasseh. He looked like the culture around him. Why did he build an Asherah pole in the temple of the Lord? Because he looked to Asherah for the ultimate source of meaning in his life, and therefore, the practices of the idol, the pole that he erected and put in the temple, it flowed from the idol he clung to in his heart. Why did he bow down to the starry hosts? Because he looked to them for the ultimate source of hope. And the practices in his life followed. Why did he practice divination? Because he looked to the occult 
for the ultimate direction in life. And the actions followed. As we examine our lives, as people look at us, what practices are they seeing that we are carrying out? As, as people look at you, do they see you sacrificing your family for the sake of success? Do they look at you and see someone who's sacrificing healthy eating habits and money for the sake of beauty? As they look at you, do they see someone so consumed to have fun and enjoy our time that you're sacrificing worship on Sunday? that you're sacrificing Jesus' time? Or do they see somebody so consumed with having fun and a good time that when said good time is being had, they can't tell you're a Christian anymore because you're sacrificing all of your moral behaviors, all of Jesus, to have just a good time? As they look at you, do they see somebody who, who wants romantic love so badly that there's no difference in your lifestyle than the rest of culture. See, the gods of our culture are not Baal, Asherah. They're not the starry hosts. Uh, they're not even necessarily divination and, and the occult for us. But what is our gods? They're actually the good things that we make the ultimate thing. They're the good things that we make the ultimate thing and that we're willing to sacrifice for. Success, beauty, love, those things are our cultural uh, idols. And what practices are you carrying out in your life? If there's no difference between you and the culture around us, it's time to dig deep and ask ourselves, have we reconstructed our own religion? What idols are we clinging to? Manasseh didn't do it. Manasseh blended in with the culture around him. And how did God respond? What does God do for people who have re reconstructed their own religion? Here's what. Verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end, besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit, so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What did God do? He sent prophet after prophet after prophet to Manasseh to say what? Repent. Change your ways. Turn to the Lord. Give up your idols. Change your ways. And what did Manasseh do? He killed them all. He killed each and every one of them. He filled Jerusalem with so much blood of the prophets. Tradition has it that Isaiah was killed under Manasseh and that Manasseh had him sawed in two just because Isaiah confronted him about his sin. Are we ready and humble enough to hear the word of God? Are we humble enough to maybe accept that it just might be that we have idols that we're clinging to. It's hard for us because here we are sitting in church on Sunday morning. We're Christians. We believe in Jesus. And yet, are we ready to examine the practices that we are living out in our life? 
because the practices that we live out will tell us what our ultimate source is. Is it God or an idol? Manasseh didn't get it, and so here's what God did. We're going to jump over to 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Uh, 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings are almost identical. There's some differences in there, and Manasseh's account is written both in 2 Kings chapter 21 and 2 Chronicles chapter 33, and we get a little more detail on Manasseh. Here's what we're told. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. What did God end up doing? Allowing the king of Assyria to come over, put a hook in in Manasseh's nose, and drag him away like an animal. And they're in prison. Manasseh hit rock bottom. There's no Baal, no Asherah coming to his rescue because they're false gods. The starry host, he didn't have his altars anymore, and they're false gods. They didn't come to help him. Satan, in the occult, left him. What was left? He hit rock bottom. How does he get out of reconstructing his own religion? There's only one way. Here's what we're told. In his distress... He sought the favor of the Lord his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Isn't that incredible? Here we have Manasseh, who brought the people away from the Lord more than any other king who put up Asherah poles and desecrated the Lord's temple, who worshipped Baal, who bowed down to the created things instead of the creator, who sought the devil in the occult. And now he turns to the Lord, and what does the Lord do? Shows him grace and mercy. Forgives his sins. You see, that's the difference between our God and an idol. Idols and false gods demand you sacrifice for them. You must do this to appease me. God sacrifices for you, for me. Don't get me wrong. God isn't a God who who just overlooks sin. He's not like the grandpa that looks at his uh, troubled grandson going around causing all troubles in the house and just kind of laughs it off. Oh, he's kind of a troublemaker. No, that's not God. God hates sin. He is holy. He is perfect. But God doesn't demand that you and I pay for those sins. Instead, God sacrifices himself. And he sends Jesus. And Jesus, God himself, comes to this world and he willingly takes the sins of the world. He takes the sins of idolatry. He takes it all and he goes to the cross where he appeases the wrath of God over sin. And he lets us know it. Because from the cross, what does he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer? My sin. And yours. And the world. And yet it's through that sacrifice on the cross, through Jesus 
death on the cross, that God's wrath over sin has been taken out, has been appeased, so that he can announce to you and me, forgiven. You see, here's what John, Jesus' disciple, in, in 90 AD wrote. First John chapter... Next. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. Not that we loved God so perfectly, but God loved us and sent Jesus to be the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's through him that God makes the unacceptable acceptable. And that's your last point. The Lord alone makes the unacceptable acceptable. Manasseh couldn't do anything, couldn't do anything to get right with God. He's sitting in prison. He's in chains. There's nothing left to do except to turn and seek the Lord's mercy and grace and forgiveness, and the Lord does. And that's true for you and me. There's nothing that we can do to appease God's wrath. There's nothing that we can do to make up for our sins, and God doesn't ask us to. He sent Jesus for you and me. And so as we look at the, the, the narrative of Manasseh here, understand that there is no sin that the Lord can't forgive. There is no sin that God's grace doesn't cover through Jesus. Have you lied? Jesus forgives you. Have you cheated? Jesus forgives you. Have you failed as a parent, as an educator? Jesus forgives you. Have you committed adultery, cheated on your spouse? Jesus forgives you. Have you had an abortion? Jesus forgives you. Have you practiced the occult, dabbled in the occult and Satanism? Jesus forgives you. There is no sin that God's grace and mercy doesn't cover through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and so it's you and me. We have the peace today knowing that our sins are forgiven. God's grace covers us and that he's made us acceptable even when we're unacceptable. Manasseh's story has an amazing ending and it's this. He got brought back to Jerusalem and here's what he did. Afterward, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David west of the Gihon Spring in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate and encircling the hill of Ophel. He also made it much higher. He stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities in Judah. He got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord, as well as the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem, and he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel." The fruits of faith come. When he experienced the grace and mercy of God, now he came back to Jerusalem and said, God is so graceful, filled, so merciful, I want to worship him. And he sacrificed all of those idols. He got rid of them. He said, I'm no longer looking to them as the ultimate source. The Lord, my God, is the ultimate source. And he restores the temple. And he offers sacrifices to the Lord. You and I, when we experience the grace of our God, that he has for us, that he makes the unacceptable acceptable, and it's through Jesus. We want to sacrifice the idols in our lives. We want to come and worship the Lord, to offer him our thanks and praise. 
We want to let go of the idols that we're clinging to and worship him and him alone. Let him be the ultimate source and the practices in our life follow because of the grace and mercy of, of Jesus through his death on the cross. He's the, only, uh, he's the only atoning sacrifice for our sins. And through him, we have the meaning, the hope, and direction in life that we so crave. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise and thank you for your love, the amazing love and mercy that you have for us, that you would forgive even the worst of sinners like Manasseh, and you do because you are grace-filled and you're merciful. We praise you for your love that sent Jesus. Uh, it's not that we love you, but you love us. When we look to you, we see love and what love is really all about, that you would send your only son, Jesus, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's through him that we have forgiveness. It's through him that we have peace. It's through him that we see what love really is, and that love motivates us to live lives for you. Help us to uh, practice what we preach. Help us not to just sit here on Sunday mornings, but then apply it to our lives. Let the practices of you being the ultimate source flow into our daily lives uh, from Sunday through the following Sunday. Let us sacrifice the idols that we cling to, knowing that it's only through you that we have meaning and purpose, that we have hope and direction and peace in life. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.